Hello everyone and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host Jeff Ellis, formerly 24-7 from the scout, now all of Locked On. And I thank you making Locked On Indians, soon to be Locked On Guardians, your first listen today and every day of free and available on all podcasting platforms, apps. If it's got podcasts, you can find Locked On Indians. Speaking of which, we're up to 105 this week. You know, that has been the goal to break the top 100 baseball podcasts in the United States. Uh, we're currently still hanging out in the top 10 in China. Very popular in China. Relative uh, <laughs> to baseball podcasts. Uh, 105 in the United States. Let's uh, let's keep the push going. Keep helping out by doing your part, downloading daily uh, to help us crack that top 100. So we have minor news in baseball. It is interesting to see uh, Andrew Haney signed with the Dodgers one year, $8.5 million. Really struggled uh, after he was traded to the Yankees. Pretty well-documented struggles there. I was looking through some reports, and I actually thought he might be a target for the Indians if they wanted to add some depth. If they were going to go out and consider trading an arm, that Haney might be a decent uh, gamble because there's always the possibility, too, that you could help figure him out and get him back to where he was. In addition, he you know he fits the basic Indians type. You look at this past year, even with the struggles for his career, his strikeout rate's under three, 2.8 this year. Uh, home, stri- or I think I said strikeout, I meant to say walk rate, walk per nine. Strikeouts this year, 10.4, 9.5 in the strike shortened season, 11.1 in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's, let's see, 11.1 is with the Angels in 2019. Home run rate has always been high, but we've talked about the Indians are okay with high home run rates. Like, all of their pitchers run a relatively high rate uh, when it comes to home run rate. So, yes, 1.6 for his entire career. Uh, To give you a comparison, if I were to click over here on the Indians and just talk about their starters, people who made the most starts, home run per nine, Zach Plesak, 1.5, Aaron Savali is a 1.7, Tristan McKenzie is a 1.6, Shane Bieber was a 1.0, Eli Morgan was a 2.0, and that 1.0 for Bieber is pretty, well, I guess he was a .8 in his great year, 1.3 and 1. I thought he had trended a little bit higher, but still. Savali was at a 1.7. A 1.6, that's not a big deal. Uh, so why did the Dodgers make this move with all the uncertainty in baseball and everything else? It's a one-year contract. It gives them some depth. They got Scherzer uh, with the qualifying offer, they, which would mean like a fourth rounder for them. We talked about on yesterday's show how that would play out. Uh, they don't know what's going to go with Kershaw, who has no offer and has some issue of health. Haney's long, you know, has a long track record. Things fell apart this year, but before that, I mean, he had pitched very well for a lot of seasons. This is a guy with 121 starts in, I'm sorry, 112 starts, 121 games in the big leagues. I think for 8.5, that's that's a very good uh, risk for the potential to get a lefty who can miss bats doesn't hurt himself with the walk and you trust your ability with the Dodgers and you know the Dod- we talk about the Brewers and the Indians but the Dodgers have done a really good job in pitcher development those might be the three teams that do it the best of anyone I know the Rays get in that discussion as well but I feel like you know the, the Dodgers they don't have the high picks yet they keep finding guys they keep developing guys they do a really nice job and uh you know Haney's going to a situation he takes the money because it's it's sure money right now. You know, he is in a situation where he can just sign that contract. He gets paid. Uh, he gets that money all up front. He doesn't have to worry. Well, I don't know if it's all up front, but he, he has a contract in place. He doesn't have to worry about the work stoppage. He doesn't have to worry about 
how the market plays out. He doesn't have to worry uh, in terms of his market. I also wonder if, you know, Carlos Rondon not getting a qualifying offer, if that makes someone like Haney a little more tempting, tempted to jump at money just because he's not the top lefty anymore. He's not, I mean, in fairness, even if uh, Rondon didn't get the qualifying offer, he wouldn't have been the best lefty available. But he still has a long track record. Like, I'd almost rather gamble on him than Steven Matz. I know that goes against what a lot of people would say or do, but that's just uh, my truth of the matter with it. So I think that's a smart move by the Dodgers. We have now had a trade, and one of you know MLB trade rumors' top 50 free agents is now off the market. We will talk a little bit about their list. Uh, going through this list, you know we see so many familiar names. So we're going to spend part of the show talking about the draft class of 2013 as well, because I mean, a lot of players from that class are here in this listing so but Haney out of curiosity I wanted to see what his rank was uh was he unranked that seems unlikely but maybe he was unranked and I'm missing out um I mean I thought he should be you know 50th Cardinals Nationals Pirates one year six million so he got more than the projection uh 8.5 and none of the ones there I, they have a top 50 free agents, as I mentioned. The Indians are projected to get one guy, and all three uh, prognosticators agree with uh, my guy, Mark Kaneha, who uh, you know I've talked about a lot on this podcast, Now I'd love to add him. Kaneha is great. Uh, does a lot of things very well, and he can play three outfield spots. He walks. Yeah, the power isn't there. He's kind of got some Robbie Grossman to him, if we are being perfectly honest. Uh, in terms of it's not a profile that is going to necessarily excite you. It's not a profile that's going to catch a lot of uh, media attention, but he makes any team he's on better. I, I have little doubt about that. Uh, high walk rates. Uh, you know, he had 17 home runs this year. He, he's potentially a, you know, he had 17 in 2018, 26 in 2019. So he's a 17, you know, 15 to 20 home run guy. Defensive uh, value is not great. You know, you really want to move him off of center. But 115 runs created plus. He's a solid, you know, uh, just a solid producer. Low batting average, solid on base, low slugging. I think he'll have more demand just because of his flexibility. The same way I think, like, some people are almost expecting Chris Taylor to take the qualifying offer from the Dodgers. I'm like, I don't think he does. I think he has uh, a little bit more demand. I think flexibility is just one of those things that really matters to teams anymore. And I'll be curious to see what happens with Kanea. I don't think he goes to Cleveland, and I don't think the uh, it's like two years, twenty-four million was the projection on here. I don't necessarily agree with that one either. I think he might end up getting a bit more than that. It is an interesting list, you know. If you want to go through and look, I I don't know what to make of the whole everyone feeling like Correa is going to go to the Tigers. Are we sure the Tigers are going to spend? Like that's that's my one concern. I agree, Seager to the Yankees, Freeman to the Braves, uh, Chris Bryant to the Mariners. Gossman back to the Giants. Simeon is one of those, I don't know, I could see Simeon going to the Astros. I have to be very honest. Like, he is the perfect guy to kind of jump into that spot, and they don't project him there in any of them. But uh, anyone else see the Astros made an offer to, uh, it's kind of funny to go back, they made an offer to Carlos Correa. They knew he wouldn't take. He wants a longer-term deal, and they're only willing to go five years. So they offered him one that's going to be one that they can sit there and say, hey, we offered him $32 million a year. A lot of money. They offered him 32 million a year, knowing he'd never accept. It's basically they went out and made this offer and then let it be known for public relations. They know he's not taking an offer that's only five years. There's just no way he does not want a five-year contract. He wants an eight or a ten-year contract. 
he's looking to kind of lock up one of those type of massive multi-year deals and they went out and offered him a lot of money hoping I you don't want to say hoping he doesn't accept but I, I think they they knew they'd be in a bind if he did accept and they're not expecting him to sign and as we've seen with the Astros they sometimes go with those vets it's like last year when they convinced Michael uh, Brantley to come back but they still lost Springer uh, they they're spreading their money in certain places Robbie Ray seventh rated free agent Blue Jays I agree with that one Trevor Story so I think everyone overestimates the whole Rangers angle of it all um, just because he's a kid from Texas he hasn't been that good in a few years and he's likely to command a lot of money and the Rangers front office has been very astute in the moves they have made I, I think the Phillies, which gets listed a lot of places, I think the Phillies could be that team that pays too much for Trevor Story, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, Max Scherzer, everyone thinks, ends up back with the Dodgers. Nick Castellanos to the Rangers, Padres, Padres. Uh, do the Padres have the money to spend? Stroman, Angels, Twins, and Dodgers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to the Mets, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think... He uh, had a good season there. He liked the situation. He liked the team. And I could, I just could see him ending up uh, back with the Mets. Javi Baez, Rangers, Tigers, Rangers. I think Javi Baez, you know, if the Rangers are going to go out and add a shortstop, like, Javi is the guy to do. Like, he, he's relatively young. He is, you know, can play second base or short. He can just develop into a really interesting player. Elite defender. He's never going to walk. He's It's a profile that's always going to have some risk to it. But I, I think if he doesn't go back to the, He's another one. I, I mean, I'm not completely sold that he wouldn't go back to the Mets. But I think a chance to be a shortstop might get him out there. Uh, we'll go Sterling Marte. A lot of people... Starling Marte. A lot of people have asked me about him with the Indians. Their projection here is $20 million a year. Which is the reason why it's like, no, he's not going to the Indians. Four years, $80 million. Mets, Giants, and Phillies. Uh, Giants are definitely, you know, the, the team to watch with everyone. Although I think the Giants are going to go for pitching. I think, like, the next one they have the Twins and Tigers getting Eduardo Rodriguez. I think he is an ideal candidate to the Giants. So that's someone I would watch to the Giants. You know, advanced stats like him more than your old school stats. He's a lefty. There's a lot of reasons to think that a smart uh, team like that could be in play for him. And you know, we'll handle these as more guys get signed. Hopefully get signed and the CBA gets figured out. Let's take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and talk about the uh, 2013 MLB draft with the Indians. It's the last time they had a pick in the top five and also the last time they lost picks due to signing free agents. So we'll get into that in a moment. And that sponsor is betonline.ag. Long time spot. Almost a year they've been with us now. They're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one sports for basketball and football action this season. Head to their new updated desktop or wet or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, college sports, and your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for 2021. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. So, 2013 MLB draft is interesting when it comes to the Cleveland Indians for a lot of reasons. One, they had a top five pick. They have had since 1993. They've picked in the top five three times. They've picked in the top uh, ten four times. They've just not been a team with a lot of high picks. The success. 
uh, has been really throughout the two 90s and even in the 2000s. Uh, 2004, they had the sixth overall pick, which became Jeremy Sowers. I just want to make sure there wasn't a 10 in here that I was missing. Uh, 2010, they had the fifth overall pick, which became Drew Pomeranz. 2011 was eighth, which became Francisco Lindor. They have the 15th overall pick in 2012, which is kind of the outlier. So 10, 11, and 13, they were not good because 13, they had the fifth overall pick. Uh, it was basically the worst run there that they had had since the early 90s uh, in terms of lack of success. It was a really kind of relative dark time for the, the Indians because for all of the ups and downs of the Shapiro era after, even after you know they, they tore it all down, they still you know were outside of the top 10 worst teams, which you know one could argue was uh, not a good thing, that it would have been better to bottom out a little bit more overall but this was a draft like i said the last time they had a top five pick one of the few times throughout the process everyone mocked him colin moran who went uh with the next pick to the marlins actually cost more than clint frazier slightly more kind of a bit of a surprise you expect a college guy uh, and they've had very similar careers to a degree uh one could argue better ops's by frazier he's got a slightly higher war but he's played in less games just some of the data is similar like a 761 career ops for frazier 747 for moran frazier just i mean really unfortunately he can't trade to the yankees and they haven't had patience and they haven't really given him too many shots and it seems that he really struggles and presses top of the class mark appel i think we've all talked about him at this point to death chris bryant one of the free agents in this class too john gray three one of the free agents cole stewart a bit of a surprise at four then you can kind of go down, um, you know, Austin Meadows has, has been a bit of a breakout the past few years. Uh, Dom Smith, I've talked about many times. Tim Anderson, uh, one of the top players. Aaron Judge, of course, is one of the biggest names in this class. But even like Michael Lorenzen, who I believe is a free agent as well from the Reds. Sean Manea has turned into a very good player. J.P. Crawford was up for the gold glove in the American League. In terms of war for this first round, uh, Chris Bryant is number one, very closely followed by Aaron Judge, then Tim Anderson, Sean Manea, John Gray, and Marco Gonzalez is at five, Hunter Renfro six, seven J.P. Crawford, Michael Lorenzen eighth on there as the you know hitter and pitcher, ninth Meadows, and ten, might be surprising, another free agent in this year's class, Corey Kniebel from University of Texas. There's a significant drop-off after him to the Christian Arroyos, Ryan Stenicks of the world. I kind of forgot about Ryan Stanek in general. Uh, Billy McKinney, who's bounced around to so many teams via trade, uh, is also down in that grouping, but it's definitely a big drop-off. Uh, it, it's I have a hard time arguing against the Indians pick. In retrospect, I mean, I was very high in Clint Frazier. I was very, very high. I loved that selection. I thought he had star ceiling he had everything i looked for at the time uh, i probably wouldn't be quite as aggressive now like the the unrepentant swinger that he is would have been an issue for me uh i would i'm i'm less inclined when it comes to like i would have put meadows over him just because their meadows is bigger like that would have been a separator for me I, I still don't have a problem with the pick meadows i mean meadows did sign for significantly cheaper but again, when one is going fifth and one is going ninth, one might be willing to take less when you've already slid a bit. I have a hard time saying it's a bad pick. I really don't know what Frazier would have been if he'd been given a real opportunity and if he didn't have some of his medical issues. It is a hard situation. 
Now, things start to go a bit sideways uh, because the Indians go out there and, you know, they sign Michael Bourne and they sign Nick Swisher. So (laughs) this is where you start to maybe feel bad uh, when I give you this bit of information. So one, the compensation pick for Michael Bourne to the Braves was Jason Hirsch. What school did he... Was he Oklahoma? Oklahoma State. Oh, sorry if you're a fan of one of those schools. That's a big error to make. Uh, The next pick in the draft was the Swisher compensation pick where the Yankees used that to take Aaron Judge. So, that's right. Nick Swisher inadvertently turned into Aaron Judge for the Yankees. That's... It was like, oh, okay. Uh, People aren't going to be happy when I make this statement. Uh, those two picks, um, now, uh, future Indian Rob Kaminsky would also be a comp pick for, uh, Kyle, uh, Loiza, and he would actually be, what, 28th overall in this class. Uh, we have those selections because of those, the Indians signing Bourne and because they signed, um, Swisher. They didn't have a second round pick and they also did not have a competitive balance selection. So for the Indians in this draft class, they go from the first to the third. Because they had those two picks taken away, they jumped to the third round. Uh, I was curious. I went and pulled my thoughts from the time. What did I type on June 7th of 2013? Uh, so this was my first full year in Ohio. I had not started teaching in Ritman yet. I just finished my year working at Sacred Heart of Jesus School in Wadsworth, uh, which means I was very poor <laughs> I had not gotten the scout job. I was still just kind of doing this for fun. Uh, essentially, I was a teaching aide. I couldn't get everything together in my transfer out. So it's that's behind the scenes. But I was very into the Shrafts class because I really didn't have too much else going on. So uh, Kaim is a big righty. He was a lot of late helium. Didn't start till he added a cutter, which has been an outpitch. Lots of development left. He's interesting. Just a lot of arms I like more. I wonder if he might be an underslot deal. Uh, I didn't go, I mean, I can't do my write-up because the old prospect site doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, I, people telling me, I love the Frazier pick, hated two, hated day two picks with the exception of Kime. Uh, is it fair to say Dice Kime could draw comparisons to Zach McAllister was a question I got back in the day. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, Jacob L. Rosen, who now works for the Memphis Grizzlies, is like director of business strategy and analytics. He, like he's he's moved on to big things. Uh, am I not following him? No, I am following him. Uh, he quotes me as as I said, Dicecom appears to be a cheap pick at seventy six. Didn't crack most top one hundred most places, and he was he was under slot. Ended up saving the Indians. Let's see as I go through one hundred and fourteen k. They liked, this was the time where they were definitely kind of interested in spreading it around. Uh, by the way, in the second round, Oscar Mercado got one of the biggest bonuses in this entire draft class. Uh, if you're curious what they missed on in the second round, uh, not much. Trevor Williams from Arizona State is the second best player. Third best player is Chad Pinder. Ryan McMahon, who I believe won the gold glove, I just don't really care, so I don't tend to pay attention, was... Uh, that was the highest war, but one can make a case that Devin Williams is going to end up being the best player from this class in terms of that second round. So the third round, they go pretty solidly under slot with uh, an interesting guy. Uh, in terms of who's been good from the second round, there's really only one name 
and that is Tyler O'Neill. Now, when you look where the Indians selected, could they have had Tyler O'Neill? Yes. They would not have had any savings then. So that, that's one of those things. They would not have saved any money, uh, which for them was important long-term. Uh, I, I can't say I, it would not have. It would have been an improvement uh, for the Indians. We're going to take a break, come back and talk about these other rounds in this class, continue to talk about this class in general, because again, as we talk about free agency, this free agent class is full of these 2013 picks and names. Uh, so we will come back in a moment and keep talking 2013 MLB draft. And we're back. So we talked about the third round. They, they go and they go under slot there. And again, this was, it feels like a little bit of an underwhelming draft. I'm just going to be honest with that uh, in general, but specifically as we talk about these rounds and we're going to explain a little bit. So the fourth round, the Indians took a guy they thought was going to be the left-handed reliever of the future. They really liked University of Virginia at the time. Kyle Crockett was very quick to the big leagues. He got a decent chunk of change. He got close to slot at that pick. Uh, this is a round where the there are really three guys. Uh, we should also mention Ben Lively currently has the fourth best war. I mean, Crockett has the fifth best war from this grouping, from this class. Uh, fourth best Ben Lively was a former Indians draft pick. Uh, Nick Pavetta bounced around. You know, interesting arm. Isaiah Kinner... Falafala, uh, I know I butchered it. Had a high school kid who had a really strong year this past year for the Rangers. But the big name is Cody Bellinger at seven hundred thousand. Uh, yes, the Indians could have just taken him in the second or in the third round and had Cody Bellinger, and but they would have had to pay him. Uh, but they could have. They could have. They just uh, you know Bellinger. He was not a huge. I mean, he was known, but he was not. Uh, no one expected him to become anywhere near remotely what he became at the time. So we enter the fifth round. Uh, you know, like I said again, Kyle Crockett for all his ups and downs. Uh, fifth best WAR of that class. The Indians, a big part of their monetary savings, a big big part of their monetary savings was to go get Sean Brady in the fifth round. He got eight hundred thousand, second highest bonus in this entire class. Uh, they needed some savings for him. They needed some savings for their eleventh rounder. I mean, at one point in time, I had Brady on a watch list for like like in the 14 to 15 prospect range it looked kind of good in a ball now he was a guy who was against type he was old for his class uh it just did not come together for him and in 2019 he left the organization pitched for pittsburgh and that was the end of his baseball career but at the same time as long as he's a smart uh eight hundred thousand dollars is a significant chunk of change and he should be totally fine i was trying to dig out it was like when he was at lake county it was the year he just never missed a lot of bats. He's a surprising guy for that amount of money and just that placement. Like, that was one of those picks uh, I could go back and find. And I was just, I, I know, I, I don't know where my shadow draft is. It's probably on an old hard drive or saved somewhere I can't find. But I was I was not sold on Sean Brady as, as a section at the time. In terms of the fifth round itself, Tony Kemp, who was the top selection in that round, is far and away the top guy. Uh you just go down the list no one else really looks like they're going to be much of anything consistent i mean austin both is your number two uh so moving on to the sixth round the indians take uh casey shane who was a bit of a surprise because he got only 150,000. he was a thought to be maybe a guy i mean i at the time liked him more than i did um uh sean brady and a lot of people did he was like just a solidly built like typical texan 
in terms of this round, Adam Frazier is the big name, uh, followed closely by Matthew Boyd. Uh, Frazier was out of Mississippi State. Matthew Boyd was out of Oregon State. Garrett Cooper, who had a pretty good season this past year with the uh, Marlins, I believe, was out of Auburn. And then after that, you get a bit of a drop-off. Guys like Kyle Finnegan, whose name you know is probably familiar to you. Jacob Nottingham, who was a centerpiece of a... Wasn't he... I can't remember where he went now, but I feel like he went to Oakland for something. Uh, I know I'm being very specific. Uh, Shane, you know, he's one of those guys. Uh, there was some conditioning issues, I was told, uh, after and through the drafting process. He was out of the organization by 2016, never got up to double A. Continuing on, I, I swear it gets better. I know there's someone out there being like, why are we drugging through this class? Kenny Matthews, I thought was an interesting guy in the seventh round. It uh, didn't come together for him. In terms of other players in that round, that's kind of fun to look at. How about Tyler Olson? That's right. Future Indian Tyler Olson is the second best player in that round. Jake Bowers is uh, was the seventh round pick. As is James Ramsey. Another we many future uh, Indians, minor leagues, and some who made it to the majors. Tyler Molly, far and away the uh, the best pickup in this seventh round. The eighteenth round was Trevor Frank, a senior sign. Uh, but the eighth round actually produced. Uh, you had Brad Keller, who has been with the, he was a Diamondbacks guy at the time, but has been a productive starter for Kansas City mostly. Trey Mancini, Kendall Graveman, Kyle Farmer. Farmer's a solid backup. So a few guys who made it to the big leagues. It's a, a solid round. The Indians in that round, uh, like I said, Trevor Frank was a 10K senior sign. Uh, well, that worked out with Joey Wendell to the extreme, it doesn't always work out for everyone. The ninth round was one of the better picks they made, and Thomas Pannone, I know he's got like 49 games in the big leagues, but he's been worth half a war. He's really smart. I remember having talks with uh, Liebs down in Akron about him where he wanted to like have him connect with um, Tom Glavin. You know, Liebs, who we had on the show like last January, you know, he worked for the Braves. I just thought he was smart and would be someone who would uh, benefit from that. Mitch Garver, catcher to the Twins, was a 40K signing at a University of New Mexico. Uh, the top player in this round, Adam Simber, was a 5K signing. That's that's a very low. Number two war, Chad Kuhl, uh, Kuhl with the uh, Pirates is the fourth best war. And then you have Pannone at fifth, uh, the fifth highest war. So that's two rounds where the Indians have one of the top performers. Tenth round pick, uh, Ross Kivett. We've talked about this before. They had a deal in place. He decided he didn't want to sign. He decided he wanted to go back and do his senior year. They had an underslot deal there, 100%. They had an underslot deal. The fact they did not have that extra money to spend, the slot money that would go with that pick, then means they could not sign Heath Quinn, their 12th rounder. They were, I I am almost 100%. Sure, they were set to sign Quinn because uh, Quinn ends up going to a much smaller program than was talked about at points with him. Uh, he's like the only player who doesn't sign in their top 15 selections. Yeah, the Kivit signing ended up costing them multiple things later on. It was, I mean, he went back on a, a deal. Like, there's no other way around it. And that's one of those situations where he comes back the next year and I, plays, you know, at Kansas State, not a big program. Uh, it's, now, Will Brennan, recent player, they've they've scouted that program and drafted from that program repeatedly. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a pick that cost them. Uh, in terms of the 10th round, Tyler Rogers out of Austin Pay, 
the uh, you know the reliever went to the Giants. Mike Talkman, who I've talked about a lot on this show, was a 10K senior sign out of, of Bradley. Uh, Emilio Pagan, who's been a solid reliever, was a 5K signing out of uh, Belmont Abbey College. So some of these teams uh, getting having some success with these late round picks. Uh, Ohio State Buckeye Brad Goldberg was uh, you know, in my. I can say this for sure. I know in my redraft, I drafted him because I had interviewed him through that season. I thought he was an interesting uh, pitching prospect. And for a 10th round pick, dude made it to the big leagues. Uh, That's an accomplishment right there in my book. So you have to talk about the 11th round pick because the Indians saved close to $200,000 to give Adam Pletko that money. And I can specifically remember sitting there on draft day and... I, I was writing for another website besides Locked on Indians and getting subtweeted by my editor where I'm talking about, no, I think they can actually, they've saved enough money to be able to sign this guy. I think they'll sign Pletko. And my editor subtweeting me and me being like, oh, okay, we're going to play that game. Like essentially me being like, well, that's kind of a not nice thing to do, but hey. And then the my humor of him signing and me being proven correct, he got... Uh, about the fifth, sixth highest bonus in that round. Uh, most of the high bonus guys were nothing. Like, that's just the truth of it. You go and you look at that. Top players in the 11th, Chad Green, Lou Trevino, Stephen Brault, Zach Littrell. Uh, after that, there's a pretty significant drop. Uh, one thing you can say about Pluko is at least he's got 88 games in the big leagues. Like, he's the, uh, well, no, Carlos Azuay is uh, the shortstop has more as is Ryan Cordell, the outfielder. But as a pitcher, that's quite a few uh, games in the big leagues for him. Uh, other players or picks of note, uh, you know, in the 16th and 17th round, they drafted Mark Payton and Ryan Hendricks, failed to sign either of them. They have both made it to the big leagues. Both currently have a negative war. Uh, Silento Siles in the 14th round was a big deal. Miss, very fast Mississippi high school kid, so naturally uh, some Billy Hamilton comps at the time. 13th rounder is you know a favorite in a lot of our hearts through the years. Sif, Sik, Siknarf Loopstock, the catcher, Francis Backwards is how you get to Siknarf. Going down the line, Ben Heller, one of those central pieces in the uh, Andrew Miller deal. You know The third most important piece, 22nd round draft pick. Uh, Cole Solser, who was the Dartmouth College uh, reliever. Uh, the Indians traded him to the Rays, who didn't have enough spots. He ended up with the Orioles. He's got a 2.5 war now. Uh, he was a 25th round draft pick, 741st overall. Uh, they did draft Will Crow, who's now a Pirate starter, as kind of a late round guy. Were unable to, they were unable to sign him. Jordan Milbrith was a 35th round pick. Uh, he was who they traded to get Nick Wickgren all those many years ago. And then, uh, you know, I don't know what became of some of these other guys. I'm, like, looking at names. This is not a class that has a lot of, like, like I said, there is the, the Will Crow who went on to, to do big things later on, but there's not a ton of those. This is not one where they really drafted a lot of guys who kind of made a name for themselves after three years of college, guys they knew they couldn't sign. Uh, in terms of the overall war of this class, the best player in this class is Cole Solser. Uh, not ideal when you have a top five pick that your 25th round pick, 741 overall, is as a higher war than the entire rest of the class combined. 
Uh, and he does. Even if we ignore the guys with negative war, the rest of the class has a combined baseball reference war of 2.4. He's at 2.5. Uh, and if we just count, you know, the guys who signed uh, a negative seven from Pletko right now, so that kind of tells you where he is. But yeah, it's Crockett's at a one, Heller's at a point seven, Pannon's at a point five, Clint Frazier's at a point two. So Solster is definitely lapping the field. It's not a good class. Uh, we were excited for the potential of. Okay, when they made this class, I was. I mean, Clint Frazier put me over the moon. Uh, that's who I wanted. That's who I was. I thought made a ton of sense for them at the time and a lot of what they were doing. Uh, I, he immediately became the number one prospect in system to me. Uh, I know Lindor was in system. I know, but Lindor, again, I'm going to stand by the fact that no one expected that guy to hit 40 home runs when he was coming up. Like, he put on that show in Seattle, and I was like, you know, he could be Jeter-ish in terms of his production. Like, that's what you whispered at peak, but you didn't expect him to become what he would become, where I thought... I thought Clint Frazier had MVP ceiling. I, I did. Uh, it, I've learned a lot since then, if I'm going to be honest and fair. Uh, it's definitely part of the learning curve. But that pick, and then Adam Plutko, I thought Plutko was a steal. UCLA was such a pitching factory uh, at the time. You know, He was supposed to be the guy. You know, He was the Sunday starter after Bauer and Garrett Cole. And then he didn't really kind of find that extra gear. He was supposed to be a first-round pick that next year. He was going to be the next great UCLA arm. And then most thought he'd return for his senior year after having a down year and said the Indians got him to get 11th. Pannone became a very nice surprise, but the rest of the class, Dice Kime got the yips uh, from what I understand, and that just kind of fell apart for him. Crockett was in the majors. I rem- I'm Okay, so maybe I'm having my timeline wrong. How quickly did he get to the majors? Because I feel like I was sitting there with my coworkers from uh, 2014. He was in the majors the next year, and he was really good that first year. And then it slowly trickled off. He hasn't pitched in the big league since 2018. So I must have still been seeing people in 2014 from my previous occupation. Because I remember when he got. I remember watching his major league debut. And then, he like said, it's just a class you don't see much. Now, this is a time where we're getting really excited about the Indians taking some gambles, taking some risks, and turning the corner, we thought, in draft classes. But we talked about 2012 last week, talking about 2013 now, and I'm running long, so I need to end this. But the point being that uh, a lot of those high-ceiling gambles, the Devon McClure's, the Clint Frazier's, uh, the Dice Kimes, really. I mean, Kime was not a proven product at the time. The Dylan Howards. We're seeing that they missed on ceiling more than they hit on ceiling. And that sometimes the most successful guys in these classes, eventually, you know, we will go dive into the 2011 class, which is uh, one of the best in the last 30 years for this team. It's not the high ceiling guy sometimes. I mean, yeah, sometimes when you have that high pick, Lindor is great, but they've had so much more success even over the last few years with the college guys and the high school guys. And that uh, you go through the data and, you know, I will stand by the fact that Certain organizations do things better than others. Certain seem to develop things better. And I think certain organizations, it's very important to know what you do well and to be cognizant of that. And that's why I love, love, loved what the Indians have done the last two years where they have just fully scouting and development leaned into, okay, we know what we can do. Let's focus on those types of guys. And I think that is fantastic. That's great. It's awesome to see them doing that. Uh, but this was part of that run of, you know, the Will Benson. You know, it really hasn't worked out for them. 
you can go through and look at like the 2016 class it's got some issues i mean that class is gets talked about as one of the great classes in indians history because of the starting pitching they drafted but those picks were later you can look at a lot of the swings and misses in that class and other classes and i think looking at some of these draft classes we definitely see some shifting and when you look at the last two years last three years we're seeing some definite shifts for the indians in general i think in the last two to three years and i'll be curious to see how that continues to play out i want to thank you again for making locked in indians your first listen today and every day on the locked on podcasting network free and available everywhere you get podcasts why don't you go check out the Locked On Prospects podcast with Aram. I'm sure he's doing some great work right now. We had him on the show after the trade last year. Great dude. Does some great work over at Locked On uh, Prospects. I've been Jeff Ellis. Remember to download daily. It really helps our show. Let's break the top 100 baseball podcast. Help me get there by downloading daily. Rate and review. All that jazz. And as we say now, go, go, Guardians, go.